0: Praise the Lord. Thank you so much, Pastor Chad and Heather, for leading us in those uh, beautiful songs of worship. And Pat for playing there on the piano. And You all sound great. I love to hear God's people sing praise to the Lord. That's the essence of worship. It's what takes place out there in the sanctuary and congregation. And because we are here to worship God. And I'd love to hear us joining our voices together. And, you know, I think it's great. You don't have to be an accomplished singer. You don't have to be, you know, uh, somebody that studied music uh, to worship God in music. You can just sing and make a joyful noise to the Lord. I do that and maybe some of the rest of you do too. But it's what comes from our hearts as we offer sacrifices of praise unto the Lord from our lips. And so praise the Lord for that. Let me encourage you to take your worship guide, not now, but but, uh, where you can if you're making notes. But throughout the course of the week, that worship guide is designed thoughtfully and prayerfully to reflect uh, our coming before God in His Word, uh, the responsive reading in your devotion time. Take that worship guide and go back through those those, uh, responsive readings and meditate on the word of god and what is what is it that that word god's word is saying to you from that the songs you may not remember the tune that's okay the tune is is insignificant look at the words and and you can read them back to the lord or read them see out loud and, and and so use that worship god to help you in your daily worship brothers and sisters we don't come to 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 worship god just one day a week. Worship is designed to be an everyday activity by the people of God. So I encourage you, get the full use out of that worship God, uh, that it's intended for. Alright, you turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. You see the text up there on the screen. And this will be where we will be kind of settling down in the Word of God this morning in preparation for the observance of the Lord's Supper. You know, this somewhat premature introduction to fall weather has just been great. I've enjoyed it. Not just because of the temperatures and the low humidity and that kind of thing, but my favorite time of the year, sports-wise, is football season. And so immediately when the weather started cooling down and feeling like fall, I was, immediately I go into my football mood. I love to watch football, Jan, and I like to go watch those championship demon deacons play over there at the DV&T, uh, field. We, I, am a Redskins fan, have been for, Lord uh, Lord only knows how long. I pull for the Panthers once in a while, but, uh, you know, once a skins fan, you always got it in your blood. But I love to watch football, you know, and, and they're in what they call the preseason mode right now, where the teams are playing games against, you know, the non-conference teams. And, and really, this is the, the games don't count in the standings as they go for, towards the Super Bowl. But, but these games do count in the fact that the teams are going through a time of, of self-evaluation, if you will. I guarantee you, as these uh, preseason teams are getting out on the field, and a lot of times they're playing second and third string players, you know, the coaches are, are doing some examination. They're examining the roster they are wanting to know where they need to trim down, make substitutions and everything, get the team ready to be the best that it can be on that opening game of the regular season. I guarantee you, with the individual players, there's some self-examination going on, especially if you're a rookie and you're really trying to carve out a niche for yourself on the team. Listen, you're you're examining yourself and asking, you know, how am I doing physically and how am I doing in agility and speed and all. Oh, listen, you want to make sure you shine so that you can make the cut kind of thing. So so this preseason time does count, and it's the time of of examination and preparation. You know, as we come before the Lord's table this morning, let me tell you, infinitely greater than any sports event is what you and I are about to participate in as we gather at the Lord's table this morning. It is a time of self examination. And you know, as we observe the Lord's Supper, as we observe and partake of communion. It's not so much what that does for us. Make no mistake about it, there are no mystical powers in the elements of the table itself. It's not so much what it does for us, it's what it represents to us. And generates within us, in our relationship with with the Lord God's word offers very clear instructions on how we are to approach the ordinance of the Lord's Supper. There's no guesswork about it. We know the elements are very clearly prescribed. We know how we partake of the elements, but also God's word also gives us clear description of how we ought to come to the table. And I look at 1 Corinthians in chapter 11 as our primary text that we'll focus on. And I want to right up front give credit to two fine resources that I drew from in addition to God's Word and prepare the message this morning. One was a book that's written by Dr. Claude King, who has written, you've probably seen his name with some other Lifeway publications, but he wrote a wonderful piece called Come to the Lord's Table. And the other resource is one that's a little bit older. It was actually published in 1897, and it was published by that great author and minister, uh, Andrew Murray. Uh, known for his works on prayer. And this morning, I want to address two groups that might gather in any church across the country in the observance of the Lord's Supper. And using the words of the Apostle Paul, give instructions. And we'll talk about that in just a moment. Look with me, beginning in verse 17. Let's read there beginning there paul 's addressing the church at Corinth, and I might remind you that out of the context you find a, a, a group of Christians who were in the coming from a background of paganism, and so they 're introduced to Christianity and, and have made professions of faith for the most part and, and so here they are uh, attempting to to engage in the life of the Christian church having come from pagan backgrounds. And so Paul does a lot of correcting in the first book of Corinthians. Helping these Christians as they make mistakes to understand where they've made mistakes, and chastising them and and, and chiding them to, to correct their ways. And same thing applies here with the Lord's Supper. In verse 17 of chapter 11 in 1 Corinthians, Paul says, Now in giving these instructions, I do not praise you, Since you come together, not for the better, but for the worse. For first of all, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and in part, I believe it. For there must also be factions among you that those who are approved may be recognized among you. Therefore, when you come together in one place, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in eating each one of you takes his own supper ahead of others. And one is hungry and another is drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? And again, Paul, you might note that this is the second time he offers this almost as a contrasting, sarcastic statement. He says, I I do not praise you. I'm not writing to congratulate you. If you think this letter is anything about congratulating you on the fine way that you're practicing church, he says, I'm not praising you. And then I want you to jump over to chapter, I mean, uh, verse 27. We'll come back to verses 23 through 26 later. But verse 27, as Paul continues these instructional, correctional words, he says, Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner, will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner, eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep, in other words, have died. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are, chast- uh, we are chastened by the Lord, that we may not be condemned with the world. Therefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. But if anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, lest you come together for judgment. And the rest, I will set in order when I come. I imagine they're thinking, Phew, we? <laughs> if it's this bad in the letter... What's it going to be like when Paul actually gets here? Paul writes out of the spirit of love, but it is a firm correctional chastisement of those members of that church at Corinth when it comes to the practice of the, of the love feast and the Lord's Supper. Historically, we believe that the church at Corinth, as well as probably other New First Testament churches, Uh, conducted what they call a love feast, which is a time of coming together to fellowship around the table, which is a wonderful opportunity for God's people to relax and to enjoy one another. So the love feast was probably, in this context, observed first, before the Lord's Supper. So you can understand what Paul is saying there. You've come together, and some of you are practicing gluttony, some of you are actually getting drunk. And then you're trying to observe the Lord's Supper on the heels of that? So let's talk about, let's let Paul speak to us today. How do we make sure that when we come to the Lord's table, we come in the right frame of mind and heart? That it indeed honors God and not brings judgment upon us. So first of all, I want to give instructions, or Paul's given instructions, to unbelievers. You say, well, wait a minute, this is the church at Corinth. Yes. But more than likely there were, just as there are in just about every church across the nation, people who assemble on a regular basis at church, go through the motions of church, participate in the activities and the ordinances of the church, and yet have not been truly regenerated within, have not made a profession of faith in Jesus Christ. And I believe that Paul would be warning anyone there in that congregation who is not a believer, a sincere, true believer. And Paul is given instructions, I believe, that those who are unbelievers would be wise to take heed to. First of all, and he uh, chastises this wayward congregation with somewhat indignation, heed a solemn warning. First of all, the sin of partaking of the elements of their Lord's Supper in an undeserving or an unworthy manner. How could that apply to a person who sits in a congregation and on the day that the church is observing the Lord's Supper and deep within know that they've never truly trusted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. This would be partaking of the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. In verse 27 where Paul says there, Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. For any person, child or adult, who attempts to participate in the Lord's Supper, knowing that they've never publicly professed faith in Jesus Christ, have not followed Him obediently in believer's baptism, and then to engage in the partaking of these sacred elements that represent the broken body and the shed blood of the Savior, who is really not their Savior, is indeed, as Paul says, bringing uh, themselves in an unworthy manner. I encourage you today, if this be the case, give consideration to your relationship. Are you qualified? What qualifies a person to partake of the Lord's Supper? And you know, Jesus, back in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 22, when we were walking through there, you may recall in a parable, Jesus was talking about the qualifications of the kingdom of God. And in the parable of the wedding feast, you may recall Jesus said there was a, a king, a prominent man, who was going to throw a feast for his son who was being married. And so, he sent out an invitation, sent his servants out to bring everybody they could even possibly see to come to the feast. There was only one requirement. You had to wear the wedding garment. You had to be dressed appropriately. I go back to chapter 22 there, and I'll read for you just a segment of that that parable as Jesus is talking about. When the king came into the banquet hall, the wedding hall, that was filled with guests in Chapter 22, verse 11. But, when the king came, to, came in to see the guest, he saw a man there who did not have on a wedding garment. So he said to him, Friend, how did you come in here without a wedding garment? And the man was speechless. Then the king said to the servants, Bind him hand and foot, take him away, and cast him into the outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. What is it that we need to make sure that we are Wearing? to be appropriately attired for the Lord's Supper. It's not a suit and tie. It's not a particular dress. or Listen, it's nothing physical. But it is a garment. Every person that partakes of the elements of the Lord's Supper must make sure that you are wearing the righteousness of Christ. You say, well, wait a minute, preacher. How does that happen? Paul tells us that in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. He says, but he who... He made Him who knew no sin to become sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of Christ in Him. In other words, when we choose... To receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And we publicly profess our faith in Him. And we follow Him in believers' baptism as a sign of the genuine inward regeneration that has taken place in us. When you are born again, you are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. That will be your wedding garment. And only those who are garbed with the righteousness of Christ are deserving of partaking of the table. If you've never chosen to give your faith, put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, then that would be something you would not want to do, lest you bring judgment, Paul says, upon yourself. This is a time for self-examination. Do you know you're saved? Listen to what Paul says later in 2 Corinthians, in chapter 13. Listen to what Paul says. He says in verse Chapter 13, verse 5. Examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. When's the last time you did that? When's the last time you just sat down and looked at yourself and honestly examined your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ and said, I know that I am in the faith? Paul goes on to say, Prove yourselves. Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you unless indeed you are disqualified? Is Christ dwelling in your heart? Does the Spirit of God abide in your life daily? Do you know that you're saved? Do you know that you're robed in the righteousness of Christ? Another way that you can know that you're saved is a testimony of the Spirit of God Himself. In Romans in chapter 8, verse 14, Paul says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you did not receive the Spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the Spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our Spirit that we are children of God. So examine your faith walk with the Lord. Have you indeed. Come to a point in your life where you realize that you were a sinner and you ask Jesus Christ to forgive you of your sins and to come into your life. And as you walk through your journey of life, does the Spirit of God continually testify to you that you are a child of God? That's what it says. The Spirit of God will constantly, the devil will try to tell you otherwise. When you slip up and make a mistake, I promise you, the adversary, the accuser, see, see there? You're not a child of God. You don't belong... You're not a Christian. But the Spirit of God will resoundingly say to your spirit, Oh, yes, you are. You belong to the Lord. You are a child of God. That's the ministry, one of the ministries of the Holy Spirit. So, if you are here today... And you're just going along and you're kind of thinking, well, you know, I believe there was something that happened in my life some time ago, or my parents have always been Christians. I've been a member of this church and you know, and you cannot come to a confident, assuring knowledge that you've made a profession of faith in Jesus Christ and accepted him. If you don't know that Jesus is your Savior personally and that his sin, his blood has washed your sins, I encourage you to hear not only a word of the, a heed a word of warning but I got good news for you there is a wonderful open invitation to you if you're here today and you've not made that decision to put your faith in Jesus Christ I got good news for you the Lord's table is not here to condemn you it is here to invite you it is here to remind you of a wondrous invitation that God gives to all. Listen to 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. This is the heart of God. You want to understand how God feels towards those who are lost, that He has chosen to be a part of His family? Maybe that's you today. Maybe you've been going through life and you've never truly trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to this verse in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. When Peter says, The Lord is not slack concerning His promise. In other words, He's not slow. God's an on-time God. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering, patient, Towards us. You'll notice that Paul says us. Who is us? Those who are born again believers in Jesus Christ. Those whom God, before the foundations of the earth, chose to be His children. Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Peter says, all there, ladies and gentlemen... He's not contradicting the Word of God and implying that every person on the face of the earth is going to somehow make it to heaven. He's not a universalist. Peter is saying that. He's saying this to the redeemed. God is not going to bring judgment upon this world until every chosen person So, everyone that he has predestined to be a part of his family, when the last one has come and accepted Jesus Christ, then he will bring the judgment, but not until then. You may be here this morning and maybe thinking all along that just because of your loose association with Christians or your loose association with the church or you show up on holidays or whatever every once in a while, that somehow that's going to be good enough. Not so. you got to know that you've put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, but the invitation is open to all who will hear, all who will believe. In John chapter 1, verse 12, it says, But as many as received him, to them he gave the power to become the children of God, even to them that believe on his name. And then we know that wonderful verse in John's Gospel, chapter 3, verse 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever should believe upon him, should not perish but have everlasting life and then in Romans chapter 10 verse 13 that invitation continues you see God is continually beckoning and calling those whom he has chosen those in whom he will give faith he said come 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 to the table come and receive that salvation that I want to give you Romans 10:13 reminds us all oh, I'm so glad to know this too. Whosoever calleth upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Whosoever! doesn't matter if you're prominent. It doesn't matter if you're powerful. doesn't matter if you're rich. doesn't matter what your race is or your background or even what sins are in your past. When you come humbly broken before Christ and realized by the convicting power of the Holy Spirit that you are a lost sinner... Romans 3.23 reminds us of that. And when we come to the all-cleansing power of the blood of Jesus Christ, listen to what Paul says back there in Romans 3. You all know this by heart. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That means every one of us. But you know, sometimes we don't read further in verse 24, that same chapter. He says, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Verse 25, whom God set forth to be a propitiation by His blood through faith. To demonstrate his righteousness. Do you understand that the invitation says that if you come by faith, if you come broken, if you come humble, if you come uh, begging the Lord to forgive you of your sins, listen, God is willing to apply the blood of Jesus Christ. Isn't that what? If you go back to 1 Corinthians in chapter 11, as Paul is describing the very words of the Lord there in verse 25, as Jesus was speaking on that fateful night with his disciples just prior to his crucifixion, as he instituted the ordinance of the Lord's Supper and he poured the cup and he was telling his, his followers, this represents something very significant that is about to transpire in your lives by faith. He says, this cup is the blood. He says, the new covenant in my blood. God is about to establish a new covenant with you, and it won't be through the blood of bulls and goats and lambs. It won't be under the the law written on stone, but it will be by the blood of the Son of God. And God extends that invitation to all who heed by faith and choose to receive His grace and the powerful cleansing effect of the blood of the Lamb. Also included in that invitation is the qualifying power of God's grace in your faith. You talk about a winning, dynamic duo. That's what salvation is all about. Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. How many times have you shared that as you share with those who are lost? How many times have you maybe quoted that back to yourself to reassure yourself of your own salvation? For by grace are you saved through faith. But not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. And not by works, lest any man should boast. If you're here today and you've never bowed your heart and bowed your head before God and prayed a prayer similar to this, Oh Lord Jesus, I believe that You are the Son of God. I believe, just as the Word says, that You came into this world to give Your life for sinners and Lord, I know that I am a sinner and I am sorry for my sins and I want to pray today to ask you to come into my heart, Lord. Forgive me of my sins. And Lord, I want You to be the Lord and Master of my life. I want to live for You. I want to follow You. I don't want to be on the throne of my heart anymore, Lord. I want You to set the direction of my life. I want You to set the priorities of my life. Wherever You go, Lord, I will go. Whatever You do, I will do. Whatever You want in my life, I will do. Because You are my Master. Have You come to that point? I urge you, dear friend, if you're here today and you've never made a similar prayer of faith like that, that you consider doing that today. God may be using the occasion of the Lord's Supper to issue an invitation to you to come to Jesus, to be saved, to know that you're saved, to know because you prayed that prayer. You can do it today. Today. You can do it before we even observe the Lord's Supper. You can bow your head where you are. And if you truly, sincerely mean it, you can be saved. Right here, today, you can make this church service yet even more celebratory as we celebrate your salvation. And hence, you will be qualified to partake in a worthy manner of the elements of this table. But in closing, we also need to give instructions to another group. That was in the midst of that first Corinthian church that Paul was addressing that day. And that is that is the group we would say are Christians. Believers. What did Paul have to say to the church members who were truly believers? And yet, he wasn't congratulating them. Something had gone amok amongst even the true born-again believers. And that's what Paul is saying there Verses seventeen through twenty two when Paul was saying, I do not praise you. If anything, Paul is saying, Listen, church, I'm scorning you right now. He says that you come together not for better, but for worse for moral evil. He says you're believers, you're followers of Jesus Christ, and yet when you come together, look what's transpiring in the midst of you. Paul pointed out, you're practicing moral evil. You're practicing divisions, or you're, you're exercising factions and divisions and tolerating that in the body. You're showing favoritism in the midst of the body of Christ. You're practicing gluttony. Some of you are getting drunk. And Paul gives a pretty stern warning. If you look at verse 30, I think that ought to get the attention of most contemporary Christians today. Paul says, for this reason, what reason? Because they were irreverently, disrespectfully, as Christians, just going through the motions of the Lord's Supper, never giving true consideration to the seriousness and the sacredness of the table Paul said then, verse 30, for this reason, many are weak. Now, you may be here and you're weak today because your blood pressure medication is off or maybe you worked too hard yesterday. I'm not saying you need to panic because you're weak, but I'm saying Paul is saying physically it had an effect. When We're out of the will of God. God may judge you. He may chastise you. He says some are weak. Some are sick among you. And you know good and well, Paul said, some have even died. It's serious business. When we choose to walk in a disrespectful and irreverent way before the holy, righteous God of the universe, and we treat something that is so absolutely special to Him, in such a glib and disrespectful way, what would we expect other than God would bring judgment upon us? He this 1 in verse 27, he's saying this to Christians too, Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. Believing brother and sister. let me ask you, how do you present yourself before the omniscient, all-knowing, ever-present, ever-searching eyes of Almighty God today as you prepare to partake of the Lord's Supper? How do you present yourself? What does He see? How does he see your heart? Are you coming before the Lord today with sins of unbelief, or pride, or jealousy, or greed, moral impurity, or bitterness, or unforgiveness? That's your power of sin. Don't dare come before this sacred table set aside. For this special time of remembrance for the precious Savior of the Lord, and you know that you're harboring unrepentant sin in your heart, you'll be bringing judgment upon yourself. In verse 29, to those who would dishonor the Savior himself, to harbor unrepentant sin and to go through the motions of the Lord's Supper. Look look what Paul says. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner. See, this is the second time that Paul has used that expression. Eats and drinks judgment to himself. Not discerning the Lord's body. Approaching the Lord's table with sin stained hands and hearts and mouths and minds. Is to treat the Savior that you claim to love. With utter disdain. As I pointed out in verse 30, to do so with that kind of a mindset is to bring serious judgment upon yourself. But then there's, a, there's an invitation also for those who come to their senses, for those who come under conviction, for those who are examining themselves in preparation for the partaking of the Lord's Supper and the Spirit of God begins to convict you of sin you know, God's not here to beat you over the head with His Word and to make you feel terribly uncomfortable. God is here simply for your own benefit to point out where there's, there's a need for course correction. There's a need to make things right with God. If you're going to partake in the Lord's Supper, then make sure that you do it in the right spirit and that your life is worthy of it. Listen to the words of Isaiah in chapter 1 and verse 16. He says, wash yourselves, make yourselves clean. This is God speaking through Isaiah to the children of Israel, His people. But the principles apply to us today. Put away the evil of your doings from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Reprove the oppressor. Defend the fatherless. Plead for the widow. In verse 18, he goes on to say, Come now. And let us reason together says the Lord. That's what I would say God is saying to you. If you're here as a Christian and you know that there's sin that you've not confessed and repented of in your life and you're ready to receive the Lord's saving, you know uh, the Lord's table and you know there's sin, God is saying to you. He's not saying you unworthy bum. You deceitful backstabbing believer. No. Though God sees everything, I assure you, He's saying to you and to me, just like He said to the children of Israel, "Come now, let us reason together." So God's saying to you, He said, "Come, be honest, tell it like it is." You're having resentment towards a family member or you're holding on to some bitterness there or you're jealous of so-and-so or your life is full of lust and you're engaged in these kind of immoral activities or relationships. God has said, come clean! Come now! Let's reason together. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. What can make sin in the life of a Christian white as snow? Oh, I'll quote that phrase out of that old gospel song Nothing but the blood of Jesus. We're celebrating the blood of Jesus today and partaking of the cup. We're celebrating that it was the sinless, atoning blood of the Lamb of God that was shed on the cross. Let me tell you, He cleansed sin then. He's cleansing sin now. He will be cleansing sin till He comes again. Come, let us reason together. Are you ready to reason with God? Are you ready to say, Lord, you know this is in my life. You know where I've, I've done wrong. You know where I'm disqualified to partake of the Lord's table today. Lord, I want to make sure that my sins that were as scarlet as you said, Lord, they will be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Oh, there's an invitation that is extended out to Christians today. And with that invitation comes a prayer that I believe every one of us ought to pray before we take of the bread, partake of the the juice. And I think it ought to be Psalm 139, verse 23. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any wickedness, any sin, any unrighteousness, and then, Lord, when I confess it, and when I repent, and when I make things right, and I come clean with you, and I receive the washing of the blood, and I'm clean before you, then Lord, lead me in the way everlasting. That's what Paul's basically saying back here in First Corinthians in chapter. 11 verse 28, he says, but let a man examine himself. And that's what we need to do. First thing you can do is walk in here, sing a few songs, give an offering, and then just go through the motions of taking the Lord's Supper as if it was just another empty religious Ritual. I promise you, in the eyes of Almighty God, who looked down upon that cross on that day, that pivotal day on that hill called Golgotha, and He saw hanging on that cross His only precious darling beloved Son who was tortured and dying in agony and shedding His blood, I guarantee you God doesn't look upon the elements of this table in a glib way. He's inviting His people to come back to Him. And when we do, we receive the blessings. There are blessings to be received personally. There are blessings to be received in your family. There are blessings to be received as a church family when we do the ordinance that the Lord has given us in the Lord's way. In verse 26 of chapter 11, Paul says, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till He comes. Do you understand, brothers and sisters, this is a witness. This is a witness. It's a witness to one another. When you partake of the elements, you are saying to every other born-again believer in this house today, I am a child of God. I have earned a right at the table by the grace of God and through my faith in Jesus Christ Well, there's also the blessing of fellowship. John says in 1 John chapter 1, verse 7, he says, if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of His Son, Jesus Christ, cleanses us of all unrighteousness. As we gather before the table today to partake of the Lord's Supper, I'm going to offer in a moment right now. I'm going to pray to conclude the message, but I'm going to, before we offer the elements of the Lord's Supper, I'm going to offer each and every one of us an opportunity. I know we've had our time of pardoning confession, and I hope that's exactly what you did. but that was before you heard this message, maybe this message. By the power of the Spirit of God, with the Word of God has stirred some things that were deeper than the pardon and confession time touched. First and foremost, if you're here today and you're lost, you're unsaved, unworthy to partake of the elements of this table, I believe God would say you're first on the list. Of all the ones gathered here today, God is saying, I've chosen you, I'm willing to give you faith, but you've got to confess your sinfulness and repent of it and accept Jesus Christ and be saved today. And then Christians, those who have made that, taken that step, and have a, and enjoy that relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, then we need to examine our lives. We need to examine our hearts. We need to come clean to God.